Welcome to episode 13 of the Sink or Swim podcast. 13? Episode 13? It's a lucky number. You know, Mitchell, this is a special episode because we are recording on your new computer. We are. And normally we record on mine. So if you hear like a... In the background, it's usually because my computer's uh, got a very small motor and a fan (laughs) and it needs to be um, cooled down. Uh, also, I want to say, I know none of you can see this, but Mitch is wearing a fantastic shirt today. Thank you. He's wearing his dad's shirt. It's a Cubs shirt, Chicago Cubs shirt. The baseball season has begun, and I'm in full support of them taking it all the way this year. He's underselling it. It's not just a Chicago Cubs shirt. We've all seen those. This is like a button-up, uh, short-sleeve, collared shirt, and it's got... You know, some plants on it. It's got the ivy. It's got Wrigley Stadium. Mm-hmm. It's got some pennants. It's got a baseball player. The buttons are baseballs. And the buttons are wooden baseballs. It's a beautiful. Shout out Marissa. She yeah. got this for me. And Shout it's out Marissa. One of Marissa. my favorite shirts. Probably my favorite shirt. Okay. That being said, we have <laughs> a very, 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 very important guest here today. So with us today, representing the often misunderstood field of plastic surgery, we have my good friend and dear colleague. Mason Sutherland. Well, he's he's representing plastic surgery from a medical student's perspective who just matched into plastic surgery. That's a better so. clarification. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome, my friend. Hi, Mason. Thank you, guys. We're so excited to have you. I have to start out by saying you are, hands down, and nobody can argue with me on this, or, or you can fight me on it, the most hardest working person in our class. The most hardest working. The most hardest <laughs> working ever. I, I don't know about that. I right? agree. Like, you have Mountain Dew running through your veins. That's how hard <laughs> Code you work. Code Red Mountain Dew. It's a little bit of Baja Blast. So, Mason, if if you don't know, Mason is, I mean, we all know this, if, if anybody listens to this, Mason works his butt off. Yeah? I have. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's taken some effort during medical school. Yeah. I, and just for also clarification, he just finished his last rotation. So now he's officially joined the lazy fourth year crew. Congratulations. Thank Mitch you. is the king. I think this might be the biggest achievement of the year. I'm you think so? <laughs> Mitch is president of the lazy I, fourth year. He's hey, setting know. an example. Yeah, I indoctr- When's the last time you stepped foot into a hospital, Mitch? October. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, it is now April. <laughs> Hey, but you're a very um, skilled video gamer at this point. I am. I mean, I I feel like I've done some stuff. I did a little bit of tutoring. Mm-hmm. I like brushed up on some stuff to keep myself not, you know, keep my brain a little bit awake and not completely turned to fourth year mush. But yeah, I've. Oh, you're I've, a sleeper agent. You mm-hmm. haven't been in the hospital, but I know you're studying. I'm not studying. I promise you. Shh, Mitch is a sleeper agent. My most recent achievement. He's sitting there, like probably doing an Anki deck right now I as we are talking. To everything. It's, he figured out a way I to put don't it in have his brain. Anki installed. Uh, he's doing something, right, Mason? I think so. Yeah, he's I, just, don't I let don't 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 sleep on him. He's he's right there in the corners lurking. So, Mason, we're only well, I guess we're we're over a month past match now. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. been correct? one month. Yeah, and you are the highlight of that day for me. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, this guy has the best photo of the entire event. He's in the emails. Like, he's the cover photo for Match on, Day 2022. He was on the NSU website. The photo is beautiful. It's him 
and his dad and his brother and his mom and his dad's like full fist pumping cheering mm-hmm. and the best part is Mason's face because he's just sitting there with like a just like a like a smirk of satisfaction mm-hmm. like I did it <laughs> and he did do it Mason this was a very 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 well first we have to talk about leading up to the event right because you remember they brought us sure. up to that tiny room oh yeah and you in that moment inspired me because I was gonna peek at my envelope because we were mm. given the option. And like we've mentioned before, Mitch peeked. Um, and I was so certain that I was gonna do it. But then you came up and you had this nervous energy to you, but it mm-hmm. was like a really contagious energy. <laughs> and you're like, I said, Mason, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna read it on stage? And you looked at me like, yeah, I'm gonna read it on stage. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a big deal. Because yeah. Mason dual applied. Mason doesn't know what he's going into. <laughs> mm-hmm. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't even know what he's going into. If Mason can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, like, with it being dual apply. If, you know, only apply to one specialty, if you got an email saying you matched, then you know you're going to be that type of surgeon. You'd be a plastic surgeon or a general surgeon, whatever you applied. But, you know, I kind of recognize this event kind of just one of the biggest days in your career. And, you know, like, you're going to need a match once. Yeah. Maybe twice if you do a fellowship match, but that's not really as big of a deal with matching your residency. So I thought, you know, this is one of the few days in your life and you should do it the right way and um, get up on stage and whatever it is, handle it there. You let everybody experience the emotions. We all experienced it. And just for clarification, what we're talking about you dual applying, what were the two specialties that you applied to? Right, because... You know, I was primarily interested in plastic surgery, and that is ultimately what I matched into. But because it's a very competitive field, um, you know, you have to take a step back during the match process and the whole interview cycle and really think of being realistic. Um, This year, plastics had a, I think, 52% match rate. So they had 390-something people apply and 190 matched. That's insane, Um, dude. 52%? Yeah. And this is globally, so this is everyone applying to United States plastic surgery. Wow. Um, so there's not a whole lot of people people who applied to it. Number one, when you yeah, think there's like it's a 5, slim field, right? Surgery, you know, positions, and then there's only 190 in the country for plastics. It's a much more niche field, so you really don't apply for it unless you actually like stand a chance. Um, you have to be competitive. And you have to be, be aware of your stats. But, um, you know, knowing I was coming from a new school and I didn't have any connections to plastic surgery. No one else in my family is a doctor. I'm the first one in medicine. Um, and I surely didn't know anyone from undergrad that could help me into plastics. So I knew a dual applying was, you know, the smart thing to do because I'd rather, you know, match into general surgery and then do that and then do a plastics fellowship and get there one way than, um, you know, not match into plastics and have to go through the entire soap process. Wow. And... It worked out for you. You opened up that envelope. Well, actually, we have to, we, we can talk about that now or we can talk about it later, but we've got to start from the beginning and tell the story of Mason. I do, yeah, for sure I want to know the story of the legendary Mason. <laughs> One thing I did want to ask before that is just for clarification, because I feel like a lot of people don't understand, and we've talked about this too, like, could you give a quick rundown before your story of, like, what is plastic surgery? Because I think a lot of people just think it's, like, cosmetics and, you know, you know, plastics. When you think of plastic surgery, at least me, I thought it was mostly cosmetic work as well. I had a friend who had reconstructive like plastic surgery on his nose. So like I do understand now more so after talking to you and stuff what it's about. But if you could just like summarize it really quick and then we'll talk about your backstory. Yeah. So 
plastics originated um, a while ago. It's kind of been a field that's been evolving over time because it's heavily dependent on innovation and new techniques. So um, one of the first questions I was ever asked in the OR, because I started my first surgery rotation ever on plastic surgery over at Kimball, and the attending there asked me, what does plastic surgery mean, or what's the origin of it? And so the origin is actually from the word plasticos, which is Greek meaning to change shape. Mm -hmm. And so when you think of that, that kind of defines what plastic surgery is. It's not the fact that we put plastic in people, like implants and, and stuff like that. Very common misconception. But it means to change form. And so um, I would say the majority of what you do as a resident in plastic surgery training and even in a lot of places and attending, I would say it's like 75% reconstruction and 25% cosmetics. So the proportion of people who um, go into reconstruction is really high, and that's going to be, you know, those types of procedures are things that you might think about like um, burns, like doing skin grafts, doing breast reconstruction after cancer treatments or um, non-healing wounds, cranial facial stuff, cleft lift, cleft palates, cranial synostosis. We do a lot of hand surgery. Uh, we do a, do a lot of intraoral reconstruction and whatnot. And so pretty much as a plastic surgeon, you're comfortable reconstructing anywhere in the body, except you don't really go intra-abdominal and you don't really go intra-thoracic. But everywhere else you can operate. And so there's actually a, a quote I heard once that said, like, plastic surgeons are one of the last few general surgeons because they operate everywhere on the body um, for the most part. I, I don't remember if it was me or if I was talking to you or somebody else, but we were like trying to figure out how we, we would define like plastic surgery. And it, it's kind of like external surgery. I don't know if that was, yeah. if you'd agree or not, but it's like a general surgeon can operate anywhere in the body, but they're mostly like going inside and changing things inside versus plastics is mostly like, you know, messing with the appearance of it on the outside and like the underlying structures. Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't say as a plastic surgeon, you're necessarily there are plastics emergencies and like some conditions we have to go into sinuses for or we we like have, dog bites in the yeah face. dog bites yeah. we work with neurosurgery to do like cranial bolt reconstruction and stuff uh-huh. but like while we deal with the skull neurosurgery will go and do whatever intracranial so i kind of think that it doesn't go into any compartments per se it doesn't go into the head it doesn't go into the thorax um it doesn't really go intra-abdominal but everywhere else what about who does the gender reassignment surgeries because i know that's a very new um not very new but it's more new um types of surgeries what who does that urologists um plastic surgeons do it yeah there there are uh gender affirmation fellowships and whatnot where you can go and this is specifically what you do oh wow that's learn how to do top and bottom surgery oh that's cool some places are you know bigger on it than others. Okay. One of the places where I did an away rotation was Rush University, mm-hmm. and they just opened um, their own gender affirmation division, essentially. Oh, wow. And so they're going to do a lot more of that type of surgery. Um, Very cool. So, yeah, I mean, they, they do it, but they also do, we do joint surgeries with the urology um, when it's, you know, required for reconstruction of that area. Yeah. And joint meaning they do it together. They're not working on joints. Right. That's yeah. Kyle's domain. <laughs> Shout out, Kyle. Shout I think plastic is also cool because, like, you have the cosmetic things where um, there's not necessarily, like, an injury or anything, but you're changing the appearance of, of someone's body to something else. And then there's a the reconstructive where, like, oftentimes there's, like, a serious, like, insult, whether it's a burn or a trauma or what have you, and then you're making it look normal again. So right. I don't know. I think that's a very uh, 
there's a lot of variety within that one field. Yeah, there is. And obviously people can choose what they want to do in their career. If they want to be just cosmetic surgeons and come down here and be the next Dr. Miami, they can do that. Yeah. Um, or they can do what I kind of want to do more, and that's be at an academic hospital and have the majority of what I do be reconstruction. And then just to do cosmetics, um, more so to teach residents because that's required when you're at an academic hospital. What about face transplants? Is that, a, is that the domain of a plastic surgeon? Yeah. Those are cool. Yeah, NYU Those are is super like cool. the face transplant uh, capital of like the world right now. They're, they're doing like the most of those, and those are all wow. plastic surgeons. He was showing me a post on Instagram before um, we started, and it was like uh, I had never seen it before. It was a woman who had her whole scalp like burned from, from fire, and she lost most of her hair, obviously, because it like kills all the, the hair follicles, but they put these like saline balls underneath the skin and the scalp mm -hmm. and it like stretch it, it, it stretches the skin mm -hmm. it looks like big tumors and then the skin gets stretched out and then she was saying you have more tissue and then you're able to fold over and then you know, your hair grows back because you have viable tissue it's amazing stuff it's like very sci-fi and futuristic yeah a lot of the field is what i mean people don't unless you spend time in the field you don't really understand the breadth of stuff that you do because we do all the things i mentioned like hand surgery and craniofacial but then there's these other small niches you can get into. Like, I think I want to do a fellowship in microvascular surgery. So for, you know, plastics, that means it's doing really complex reconstructions where you're pick, picking up pieces of tissue and dissecting it out with arteries and veins and then moving it somewhere else, like freely detaching it from the patient and reconnecting under a microscope. So face transplants? Yeah, I mean, face transplants are one of them. But they do a or lot of fingers. this. fingers. Fingers would be more like replants. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, you use micro to do that. Whoa. Um, and so we do, when I was on my aways, we would have finger replants at 2 or 3 a.m. And even as a sub eye, I was scrubbed into those surgeries, helping in the middle of the night. Um, but yeah, it allows you to do a lot of complex breast reconstruction, a lot of complex head and neck reconstruction too, because those require uh, free flaps like that. My favorite TV show is well, w one of them. It's a medical show. It's called Botched. It's oh, on E. It. <laughs> it's great. A lot of people think it's just, you know, a straight, okay, we're giving this person a great breast augmentation or a nose job or something. It's not. They are fixing botched right. surgeries from people who had, you know, bad plastic surgery, I guess. And yeah. then they're, they are reconstructing it and doing a, making it look nicer. Um, that's all I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, think so. that's, I think that's all that a lot of people know mm -hmm. is just whatever they see on TV. So, um, you know, I kind of consider plastics to be like this black voodoo magic where you're just able to take a tissue and move it around and repurpose it to reconstruct um, all areas of the body. You really wouldn't think it's, ex it's as extensive as it is, but I mean, we have to know every piece of anatomy inside and out to be able to do our, you know, surgeries. Okay. So now we got to hear the story of me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think this is this is the most important part. Okay. <laughs> so, Mason, you're a young boy growing up in Central Florida. Yeah. Tell us the story. Well, yeah. So I was, I was uh, <laughs> born and raised in Orlando. Um, I lived in this small suburb um, called Maitland. And, Maitland. Um, okay. Yeah. That's where my parents are from. Oh, so, Mitchell, you grew up in? We were super close by. Uh, you didn't I mean, even I know in, each other. No, no. Wow. I was Shame in the area. We were like forty-five minutes apart our whole life, wow. probably. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. You yeah. didn't even know. Like forty-five <laughs> minutes away is gonna be like my real good, my real good friend. Separated one day. by I four. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. sad. So you yeah. grow up in Maitland. Mm -hmm. You're this young boy. 
your parents aren't in the medical industry, right? No. So you don't you don't grow up thinking I'm going to be a doctor one day. No, or not maybe at all. You do. My my dad owns two small businesses, and my mom uh, now lives in Texas and is co-owner on a um, small business there too. And so, really, my first interest in anything science, medical related, is from my brother, who's five years older. He um, is now a nuclear physicist and CEO of his alternative energy company just, up in Seattle. He just says that very and, nonchalant. Um, <laughs> He's just a <laughs> nuclear physicist. That's awesome. Um, but my whole life, he always was pushing me towards something in, in science. And, you know, he's very, like, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering kind of oriented because he's building a nuclear reactor. But, um, <laughs> his brother's Doc Ock, by the way, from Spider-Man. So your brother, actually, this is really cool. Um He's a physicist, right? Um, and he's also a doctor. He's a PhD, right? Yeah. And he's working on a fusion reactor, right? Jeez. Some cool stuff, man. Yeah. Uh, just for anybody who's listening, those are—they don't. The sun is a fusion reactor. Yeah, you're basically trying yeah. to recreate a star inside of a machine, and then just harness energy. And we currently, for all of our nuclear reactors, they're all fission reactors, which is easier to do, but nobody's ever quite mastered the fusion reactor, but your brother is getting there. Getting there, yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. So I think that's incredible. The good, the good part incredible. is that you don't have like a Chernobyl situation. It's impossible you, to happen. Correct. Because that was all fission related. Correct. And it's hard, but it's that's why it's so hard to make a fusion. I'm so impressed. I want to sit down with your brother. Get out of here. Bring him here. <laughs> Get him no. on the podcast. <laughs> so your brother, he's got this knack for science, and he's right. saying, you know. And he was always pushing me, and, and so. Um, so he's inspiring you a little bit. Yeah, and so I naturally was more drawn to biology and um, chemistry and stuff like that, and that side of science. So when I entered college, um, I double majored in biology and psychology, and my intent was to go to graduate school to get a PhD and do cancer research, essentially. Oh, wow. Um, I thought that's what I wanted to do. And then my first wet lab experience during an internship after my freshman year, the very first day I was in the wet lab and I started plating cultures and stuff, I decided, you know, this is not for me. Like, it was a gut reaction. It was immediate. So naturally... Um, Did you have to make the medium? Yeah. It smells like soup. That's no, horrible. Yeah. You knew, like, right away. Oh, the first day. It's like spitting out bad food. You're just yeah. like, nope. It was, it was the first day because it was like I, I plated it and, like, I was being super productive in the morning and by the time noon rolled around I was like I didn't have anything to do and I was just sitting there and I'm like what do you guys do now you wait for the stuff to grow yeah yeah, we have to wait 24 hours for the thing to grow it smells bad this is not the pace I want to work at this is not for me so um, naturally the next thing I moved to was medicine okay and so then I completed med school or not med school undergrad I did all my um, prereqs and whatnot and I was actually first introduced to plastic surgery uh, during a year-long employment I had between medical school and undergrad. But wait, you're missing out on a very important part What's of your life. <laughs> you totally skipped high school and how you were this amazing championship rower. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is important. Was, yeah, so this I wrote. He's um, a very humble guy. He's, of course he wasn't going to mention it. <laughs> I rode for our high school crew team, which is, I went to Winter Park High School, um, and so, yeah, I, r- I rode for four years, and you know, we were successful. We worked very hard. I mean, this was kind of like my first introduction into pushing myself past what's comfortable and um, really learning how to tolerate uh, exhausting activities, I, gu- I guess how to say it. So, like, we would have practice for six hours a day. I'm sorry, six days a week, three hours a day, wow. two, two practices a day on Saturday. 
Oh my gosh. And our spring breaks were spent at training camps. We would go to this wake in Ocala and train every single day, three practices a day. Um, so do you have like a big boat that you guys all have to carry on your heads together? As yeah, a team? you've seen those long shells that have like eight people. Yeah, where, were, where were you in the shell? Like what Usually, number were you? Yeah, it depended on the year, but when I won nationals, I was in the bow seat, which is the very, I don't know, the one closest to the finish line. Oh, okay, so you were like the front. I was the first to win. Yeah. Wow, the first. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like that for the rest of your life. Yeah. So I won nationals my freshman year. And then um, our, our team went through like a transition period where uh, we switched head coaches. He retired for a little bit and he came back my senior year. And so um, basically a, a lot of that time is just spent kind of rebuilding the team. And, um, you know, I got into fairly serious talks with like coaches from Cornell and I was going to roll lightweight. And then I got a back injury my senior year. Hey. And the only other school I applied to as a backup was um, FSU because everything was on par to work out. So that's, oh, how, okay. that's how I ended up at Florida State for my undergrad. Which is a great school. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, a I fantastic no school. It's in Tallahassee, Florida. Mm -hmm. The beautiful Tallahassee, Florida. State capital of Florida. <laughs> is that what they say? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard it too much. I it always is the heard, capital. I always heard the other one, Tallahassee. Is yeah, that what they say that's, there? That's much more accurate. Oh, okay. The I've been there a few times. Campus itself is beautiful. Yeah. Campus itself is really, really nice. It's just everything about the rest of the town. It's a little, yeah. you know, it's muggy and yeah. it's okay. I went to one trip to Tallahassee for a seven-on-seven, seven, like, uh, for high school football, we would do seven-on-sevens, whereas it was, like, T-shirt and shorts, and it was just passing, and it was, it was really fun. And we went to Tallahassee, and I met Bobby Bowden Yeah, <laughs> my one trip to Tallahassee to FSU. Yeah. And then Who's I left. that? Well, he's, he's one of, like, the most famous coaches for FSU football. He's a legendary oh, wow. college okay. football coach, yeah. yeah. Okay. He's FSU is like best coach of all time, yeah. and he's just a legend in college football. So the one time I went That's there, cool. I met him. And it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Wow. Okay, so then you go to FSU, mm -hmm. and you say I'm going to be a biology major. Yeah. But that's when you decide these la wet labs, not for me. Right. So then now you're at the you get a job. Right, and so in between you know undergrad and med school, I worked for a year. Um, I worked at Orlando Health. Um, in Orlando and at first I started off as a scribe well, I was a scribe the entire time but I started off in uh, Hemonk actually and then I did that for a little bit and then they were just kind of have a switch services wherever we were needed we were just pretty expendable movable like that so I would split my time between Hemonk and Hepatobiliary Mm -hmm. And then um, one day <laughs> we're pretty expendable. <laughs> no, <laughs> we it's were like true. universal no, cogs because no, it yeah. it's like they kept us at thirty-nine hours, so we wouldn't get full-time benefits. And they knew we were like oh, applying to med school. That's so. really cool of them. Was this yeah. from? Uh, were you employed by one of the large scribe employers? It was a large employer based <laughs> in Fort Lauderdale. Maybe. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so one day we got an email from our supervisor saying, "Hey, does anyone want to?" you know, pioneer our expansion into the plastic reconstructive department. And I had no idea what the field was at that time. So I said, you know, sure. Ah. And so then that's actually my first introduction because those surgeons knew I was applying to medical school. So they would um, spend time in the clinic. Like we were just walking to the patient room. They would just flip around and give me a synopsis about the patient and teach me about what they're going to do for them. And that's so cool. They brought me into the OR. And um, my first surgery I ever watched was them uh, doing a free fibula flap for a mandible reconstruction where wow. they take out someone's fibula, they break it, reconnect it under a microscope, and then make someone's 
new jaw out of it. And so, like, that was, like, my first introduction into surgery. And so at that point, like, you know, plastics was it for me because there's just so much creativity and, and variety in what they do. So in a way, you are like your brother. You are an engineer. Yeah, I guess, in a way. Human body engineer. Yeah. I mean, we're not, like, like orthopedic surgeons, and I feel like they're, like, you know, the engineers of surgery. But we do do, you know, work with hardware for plating, facial fractures and hand fractures i saw a movie once called tusk have you ever seen that movie Mm -hmm. it's where a guy he gets you know he loses his way off the road he goes to this house that's uh, off the main road and the guy invites him in and he's really friendly but he actually drugs him and turns him into a walrus Mm. Like, he surgeries him to look like a walrus. Like, he takes his skin, he breaks his bones. That sounds like fun for the whole family. Yeah, it's a good movie. Watch it. (laughs) And then he lives his life as a walrus. Okay. It's a a good movie. Yeah. We we don't do that. No. (laughs) (laughs) Good God. (laughs) You've never seen that movie? Nah. Um... So you get you got through undergrad, you graduate, you stick through with the biology degree, and you go, yeah. I'm going to go the medicine route. You take a year off, you do the scribing. Right. And then you apply to med school. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, how did the that go for you, the med school applying? I think that that's the hardest part of all of it, to be honest. Yeah, no, I think it is too. Um, you know, I think some people would be surprised to find out I actually applied to med school twice. I'm really I'm surprised yeah I I applied my senior year of college and um, I got a couple of interviews in in Florida schools and um, didn't work out that year and so then I restudied for the MCAT and retook it and then you know got into several schools next year and ultimately decided to come here Um, but yeah that's awesome a lot of people would just be like, ah, well I didn't get in let's just pursue these other paths right and a lot of people also apply their senior year you yeah, know, it, or they'll even apply their junior year leading up to their senior year. So it, it's like this: it's okay to take your time if you feel like you don't have everything ready. And another thing people forget to do is to broadly apply now because it's like, right. so competitive. So you could be an amazing applicant, but you might have just only applied to ten schools in your area because you didn't know any better. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think that was probably part of it too. I didn't apply to enough schools. Yep. So now it's very competitive. You got to cast the widest net ever. So you finally you get in and you you come to our school. Do mm-hmm. you remember the day you got the acceptance? Do you remember what you were doing? Yeah, I was at work. You were? Yeah, you I were was scribing. At, I was scribing, and so I remember I was just sitting in the chair in the corner of the office, doing these notes while the um, attending was doing his own notes, kind of thing. And I just got an email on my phone, and I saw it, and it's just like, "Congrats, been accepted." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." Mason, I was doing the exact same thing. I was scribing, and I got an email on my phone. The attending was doing his notes. I was like, whoa, I just got accepted to med school. Yeah. I told the attending. He's like, oh, that's great. Where? I told him where, and he went, oh, you're going to Florida? (laughs) That's Colorado. Yeah. They they don't like Florida. Yeah. I don't know why. It's great here. (laughs) But, yeah, that's what I was doing. Wow. And then you called your mom and dad. I did, yeah. And what'd they say? They were just like they they weren't too familiar with the school because it's new. Okay. So you know they were familiar with like the other Florida schools I interviewed at. Mm-hmm. I think that year I interviewed everywhere in Florida, um, but they didn't really know the school much, and so they were just basically asking like like Are you are you sure you want to go here? Like you want to make you know 
the right decision about this. And um, <laughs> we're happy for you. We just want you to do what's best. Yeah, we've just never heard of the place. And I'm like, oh, I know. Like, you know, obviously, us coming to a new school, there's going to be a certain degree of risk, which we all accepted when we, you know, came here. At yeah. the end of the day, it's your decision, son. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it worked out. Yeah, yeah I did. I, I, I also applied to osteopathic schools um, yeah. just because I didn't want to go through the med school process yeah. again. Everybody so should dual apply. They, yeah, they yeah, should. Yeah, everybody they should. should dual apply. And so they basically just asked me, like, you know, are you sure this is okay? Like, better than going to a, a, an established DO school. And, and I basically just said, we'll find out. <laughs> I think that's a lot of that, that's a question a lot of us had to ask. I had to ask myself the same thing. Do right. you go to this established DO school that has this great match list, or yeah. do you take a chance? Right. Um, I'm like to consider myself risk averse but i also like to take opportunities that present themselves to me and that's why i've moved around a lot so i took the chance um i'm glad i did because i'm sitting here with you and you (laughs) (laughs) so how did that uh i mean obviously you got accepted when was that when you got accepted oh i don't even remember dude oh also april last episode i found out you and i were at the same interview day i had no idea Really? Yep. I remember Therese. See, I sat next to Therese and Jacob, and uh, that's all I really knew. Yeah. And apparently the twins were there, and Alexa was there. I, yeah, I remember. And you were there. It was a big interview. interview yeah, so it was uh, yeah. seven of us. Yeah. Um, well, you probably didn't notice Mitch. He's probably sitting there like this. <laughs> Very stoic and straight back. No, like a lemur. Thanks. <laughs> Looking for food on the safari. That's what people often characterize me as, Mitch the lemur. So, yeah, how did that transition go? I mean, it's probably, what, five, six months after you got accepted, and then you're finding yourself at that schoolhouse in Davie where we're doing our awesome icebreaker together. I remember it? meeting Mason at actually Second Look Day, which you didn't come to. I did not. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah I remember meeting you. Yeah. Um, they had cheese. <laughs> That's the no- <laughs> that's the notable summary. They had, they had a taco bar. That's no, taco was. bar was lunch. It was interview day. But second look, they had this in, like ornate cheese presentation. I mean, cheese everywhere. It's like cubes of all kinds <laughs> of cheese. We had pepper jack. We had Swiss. We had cheddar. And a Colby cube. Cubes, and, slices, blocks, sheets. Yeah, crackers, everything. They had it all. And I, and there was um drinks too and then remember they had like a lunch for us and oh i remember the lunch you remember the it was lunch. That place i can't even remember it was some in the chancellor's place. dining room no i think it was somewhere else because we had like the shrimp pasta yeah we did have pasta yeah yeah wow sounds did like it? i missed out <laughs> <laughs> it was really cool i sat next yeah. to reed um so I, that's when i met you and then i remember we chatted on the bus um, yes because we i was trying to change the dress code I do remember that, dude. I was like the biggest proponent, and I was like, every time I saw Dean Pritchett, I would mention it to him. I got him close a couple of times. You were the scrub guy. You were the scrub initiative guy. Yeah. I'm kind of glad we ended up having the dress code we did, to be honest. Mason's (laughs) like, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm more of a scrub guy. Well, yeah, for comfort purposes. But for school, you know, it's okay to dress normal hey we're graduating real soon so we don't care anymore. well i'm not i'm not abiding by the dress code right now so oh <laughs> but we're in an anonymous location so we're not allowed to or we're not me. we're not uh bound by these dress code rules so i meet you at the second look and then i see you again at the old davy school on our first day where we all introduce ourselves in yeah. like a circle within a circle and then the circle rotates and then you spend a minute talking mm, to that person that. you yeah. remember that um 
Yeah. Tell us how you did. Tell us about <laughs> your first two weeks. Remember, we were in the same professional immersion as well. Oh, yeah. And I volunteered you to be our student representative to go make the oath. Yeah, that's right. Um, I forgot to make that. <laughs> <laughs> it got to the point where, because you know how it, in PI, we had to nominate a member of our group to represent us that. to go make yeah. the oath. Before anybody could even offer to say, I'm interested in doing that, I went, Mason's going to go do it for us. And then everybody <laughs> was just like, maybe they felt too awkward to say anything. And Mason was like, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> and, and Kyle was in that group, too. He probably wanted to do it. Um, but I, I, I Yeah, that, I, I didn't know what was going on at that point. <laughs> I, was just, I just showed up wherever I was supposed to show up. To I knew Mason students. was ambitious and hardworking and thoughtful, and I figured he would help really write something nice. So I think we did a good job. It yeah. was okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was an oath. It was an oath. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So tell me, fundamentals, how'd it go for you? What was that experience like for you? You had been out of school for, what, a year? Right. I think that first fundamentals was a learning experience for everyone. Um, yeah. You're here. Students, yeah. <laughs> students faculty, uh, everyone. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it went well overall, though. It's, I mean, it was a year since I had been in school, but I kind of just carried over the same habits from undergrad, um, which for me was just pretty much just learning through textbooks that's I was one of those uh, guys who didn't go to class in undergrad and I just showed up on the day of the test after reading the whole textbook and sit down and crank out an A and go home I told you this before but I met I was at the gym here at Nova one time and I was talking with an M1 I met and he was like you know this guy Mason yeah (laughs) he's like is it true he's like read every single textbook (laughs) you read um, Robbins cover to cover right right that's the wow the legends are true yeah that one I I mean the other ones weren't as consistent like I've read Burn and Levy for some um, physiology Uh, yeah so like that but I I loved Robbins um, yeah, great book. I don't know anybody that doesn't like Robbins. Robbins is great. It is I mean, great it takes book. time and it's dense, but I really feel like you leave with such a different understanding than uh, what you get out of Boards and Beyond or First Aid. Uh, it really allows you to develop more of an understanding as opposed to memorization. I think long term, that's what's helped me the most uh, throughout medical school. Well, there has been there there have been a few studies published that say <clears throat> that those who are able to, I guess, you know go through like reading entire blocks of paragraphs um end up retaining information longer and in a deeper way mm-hmm. and that their um sentence structure comprehension is better in the long run and they're better at um making words speaking yeah. <laughs> speaking <laughs> i can believe that <laughs> it, it makes sense i mean to yeah. read a paragraph and then move on to the next uh, contingent paragraph or continuous paragraph like you have to understand the previous paragraph so mm-hmm. and if you didn't get it you're gonna have to read it again or like read more carefully next time and maybe you like understood everything but one line so it really does require you to kind of fully understand stuff as you move through it versus if you memorize a flashcard then you maybe you do get that fact and you memorize a fact but maybe you don't fully understand that concept so maybe yeah. space repetition becomes necessary to even hold that in your brain and not that you won't have to like relearn stuff you read in a textbook, but if you understand it the first time through it, it's very helpful. Yeah. Well, the idea of space repetition is not just flashcards, flash right? The idea is that you hit the topic every couple, when you're about every to forget three it. months, right? It's, Something well, like that it, they, it, before it, the, it falls off. Yeah, the intervals 
change and it's great there's really good science behind it but it's like right when you're about to forget something you see it again uh-huh. so then the next time you're gonna forget it is longer and okay. then longer so it that is great i mean i think it does have its purpose for sure i think like if you want a deep understanding of pathology there's nothing better than robins but i did use like onky and space repetition for micro and farm because that was a lot more just memorization I think we all use space <coughs> repetition in one way or another, right? Yep. Yeah. If you're studying biology as an undergraduate degree, um, it's built into the curriculum of yeah. an undergrad degree, right? You start right. with bio one, then you might hit again on a second on that same topic when you're in microbiology. It just keeps coming at you every couple of months and to the point where it just you you know what the basics. You leave with a solid understanding of the basics. Yeah. Um, so it's great. So I remember seeing you in lecture. You were one of the very few who would show up <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it would be just you and I or, or maybe yeah, another true. person in there. Yeah. Piero. Yeah. Or Brianna. Like that was pretty much that the, the only group. people that showed up. Yeah. I remember coming in like the, at least the first quarter, the first few weeks of fundamentals. I went to all of them and then I think I fell off. But Mason was my savior when I saw him. I was like, yes, Mason's here. We can make <laughs> jokes. <laughs> or every time yeah. anything slightly weird was said by a professor, we'd side-eye each other every <laughs> single time and just crack up laughing till you cry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was so happy you were there. Yeah. Um, I, I did go for a while. I think at the end of didactics, it, I kind of like dropped off like everyone else did. But I felt bad there for a while because, like, these are people who, like, spend time making a lecture mm-hmm. and they showed up in person. And, and, like, I just wanted to show, like, basic respect for their time. And Same. That I appreciated what they were doing. So that's what really kept me more than, you know, the lectures themselves was just kind of, like, out of that obligation to them. Right. So I'm, I'm saying this all Same. retroactively because, like, I didn't go to most lectures. But I, I really do kind of wish I did. And I think I can say that with confidence because it's only a couple hours a day. It's it right before PBL. Yeah, you're just you're going anyways. You're paying for med school. It's not like it was six hours of, requ- of like mandatory or, or optional lectures a day, and you're like, well, I'm not going to do that. It's, it's two hours, and, and it's really 50 minutes twice. So yeah, it's, it's less right. than two hours. Yeah, so I, it wouldn't be wouldn't have been a problem. The joy it brings to the lecturer now knowing that um, is worth it alone. When oh, yeah. when like, when Dr. Campbell came up to me our first semester, he's like. Well, you know, I'm planning a lecture, but I'm real, real scared. No one's gonna show up. <laughs> like those are actual fears. Or when Dr. DeLeon said, you know, no one showed up to my lecture, I was really sad. Like I just, I, I would, I, I don't know. Yeah. But you just, you feel bad. No, I mean, I mean, what think, you think if you, if you were giving the lecture. Oh. And, and like be you, you spent all this time, and especially like if you're. A lot of these lectures were active physicians who took time away from their practice, Experts from in their, their patients field. to yeah. come and give a lecture and then no one showed up. Not only that, we have like some, you know, well-published PhDs, experts in their field. And then, yeah, I agree. So if anybody's listening, if you got the free (laughs) 50 minutes times two, I mean, step one's pass fail now, go to lecture, enjoy it. Really? Get to know your professors because then those are more people you end up building bonds with and you can really, it helps you remember med school because one of those things that, I think a lot of our generation and, and, and below are going to miss out on is that, ah, you remember that one crazy lecturer guy <laughs> from med school? We won't have that. Yeah. Um, but we could. But, yeah, what are you going to do? 2022. 
So you got through <laughs> fundamentals okay at the end of the day, even though right. it was trying for all of us? Yeah. All right. So I, I think we typically separate this next segment into like a little block because that's how it was for me. Maybe you felt totally different. But after fundamentals and we got through that, it felt like it was kind of autopilot until it's dedicated in that each block was, you know, similar structure. We have tests every three weeks or so. How did that period between fundamentals and dedicated go for you? I think it was just pretty much the same as fundamentals. I think because they were separated into organ systems, everything was a lot easier to understand. Um, and I know they've changed the structure of fundamentals since then to kind of help out with that. But um, I remember like the first AP hematology, everything made sense. Like we were starting at the bone marrow and working our way out and learning the, you know, the sequence of uh, how that whole organ system works was a lot more logical. And so, and I felt that through every block. Um, when we started with GI and we started with, you know, oral pathology and then we did esophageal and then you just went down the elementary canal. And like everything just made more sense. And um, I pretty much just stuck to the same strategy of reading Robbins. And when we got to physiology, that was a little bit harder to understand, like renal physiology. Uh, that's when I would kind of utilize board resources more. Um, I actually didn't use Anki until like halfway through my second year. And so leading I was, up to step one, right? Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. Smart. So I was pretty much just going off the textbooks and, you know, the popular board resources. But that was more than sufficient. You know, I did well on the tests. There wasn't any problems. I was never in danger of not passing a class. I think Hemonk being the first like <coughs> block after fundamentals is great because um, maybe it had a little less material, like a little less dense than like renal, cardio, all right. that, GI even. And the fact that each week was a new subject was, it was such a good framework for like starting to learn your study method as an M1, where right. it was like, I have one week to learn red blood cell physiology, pathology, and whatever farm could be associated with those. And I think it just gave us a little breath of, uh, breath of time and breath of fresh air to understand how we studied, what was going to work for us, what wasn't. And then you move into the harder blocks after that. So. Right. I agree. I liked it. No, I love the. I think what they did with our curriculum is they start from the molecular and build their way up. Right? Yeah. So you're talking about things that you can't see, and you're getting into hemonk or was it, it was just heme, right? Hematology. It was um, hemonk. Yeah. Yeah. And that's more things you can't really visualize with the naked eye, and then we get into the big things. Yeah. Right. Um. So you did very well. I remember Mason. You're like a machine. Always doing good on tests. Always making really good presentations for PBL. I had a group with you. We had just one group together or two groups. I don't remember. I'm not sure. Might have been two. Might have been two. Might have been two. Um, and then you get to step one. And how was your dedicated? I imagine you sitting at your desk in sweatpants for days. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually for weeks. For, um, I mean days at a time without getting up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> um, let me see. I think I did – I might have studied 10 weeks for step oh, one. Oh, my gosh. Because we started – That's that, right. That we had Christmas right. break, right? Christmas break. And so a lot of people took Christmas break to take a break. Was um, this when we Can't had... relate. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, we started our M2 year. Remember, and we started it with in August, and the first thing they started us with was a practice step one. Yeah, we had to come in 
And it was right when some big hurricane was about to hit. I remember that. You were like, don't worry, we'll let you take your test. I remember <laughs> Even though those sirens are going off <laughs> in the background. I remember how... We have generators. <laughs> Mason yeah. was so panicked looking. Maybe he was like, you know, why are we having to take a test when there's a hurricane? <laughs> I mean, it's a valid question when like FAU, FIU, <laughs> University of Miami... The, USF and Tampa canceled. They were walking in a library. It's a gusts of wind. There's like tumbleweeds going you across the ground. You can see the bands going through the sky. Everything yeah. ended up fine. Yeah. I remember Ollie and Adam only had Diet Pepsi, Diet Coke, and, and protein powder, and they were asking around if anybody had extra water. Because <laughs> <laughs> they had gone to Costco, but they just got Diet Coke and protein powder. Forgot. What else do you need? <laughs> survive off of that um so i remember that that was the beginning of m2 year and then that's kind of is that really when you start gearing up for step one for someone like you you plan ahead so okay so i think i really started i said i studied for 10 weeks i 10 weeks of dedicated but i really started studying i think like midway through october early november because i knew like my weakest area at that time were um farm and micro and i knew it because like i don't think textbooks are the best way to learn that stuff like I said like I think space repetition is better so during those last couple months where we had lighter stuff like neuro and psych um, I mainly just approached that like a pre-dedicated time period you just call neuro light (coughs) well yeah I also read a book to each his own am I right (laughs) I read that neuroanatomy through clinical cases yeah that really long one yeah I read not long but it was like tall and wide and yeah yeah but that's like it, it I would think neuro neurology on a non-medical school level is extremely complex. I mean, all those different spinal tracts, everything. Yeah. It was, that we it was didn't more learn. than what you needed for yes, sure. It was yes. more like a neuroscientist reference book. But I mean, I got everything. I forgot to ask you, what did you do the summer before M two? That's when um, traditionally people will do their research. Yeah, I tried lot. to get into research. Um, you know, I was aiming for plastics already, so I contacted University of Miami try to get in the research department they told me no um we don't at the time we didn't have any affiliated plastic surgeons with our school mm-hmm. or anything to do research so um i did uh, some summer work with dr raj but we did some more public health related research okay um, and then you took some time off i'm hoping i think so okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you started in two year um sort of start preparing for Step two, you get to step two, 10 weeks and dedicated. Yeah. You don't take a Christmas break or? Uh, I took a couple of days around the holiday. Yeah. I went back to, yeah. <laughs> around Christmas. I took itself. Christmas <laughs> off. I took half I, Christmas I did off. Take Christmas, Christmas off. morning. I took a couple of days, I think like, I want to say like the 20th to the 26th. Okay. And went back to Orlando. Um, spent Christmas with my uh, family there. But um, as soon as that was over, I just kind of like hopped back onto it and. Even for the 10 weeks, I had a pretty strict schedule of like studying 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., um, only really taking breaks to get coffee and food and whatnot. Okay. And then after 5 p.m., it was like a hard cutoff for me. Okay. It didn't matter if I had hit my limit for the day or if I hit everything I wanted to. Once 5 p.m. hit, that's it. And then I took time to play video games or to watch movies or hang out with friends or whatever. Okay. I'm a big proponent of that strategy. You have to for... When you're in a 10-week marathon, you have to do it for your mental health. Well, not, not only that, it's just, well, yeah, for sure that. Um, but just having a hard cutoff time 
one, the time before it, you're going to work more efficiently and work harder because you're like, well, I can't study past five. So let's even get up earlier or do whatever we need to do now. And also you just know that like there's relief at the end of the day where you can like disconnect and chill out. Right. Yeah. Can I tell you my dedicated schedule? Sure. <laughs> Very similar to Mason's. I'm sure. Sleep, wake up when I wake up, usually start around like 10, but sometimes 11. Go for like 40 minutes straight. Stop. <laughs> Take a two to three hour lunch break. Ah, true Pomodoro. Come <laughs> back. Um, and usually during that lunch break, you watch TV shows, you eat a lunch. Naturally. Then you come back and you go for two hours hardcore. Two Cut hours. for dinner and then go to sleep, start the whole thing. That's over. almost three hours. <laughs> yeah, that's three hours of studying a day? Yeah, but they're quality hours. For sure. sure. Not just hours. <laughs> <laughs> Not just like Mason hours. These are quality hours. So it's like the same thing. No, because I, I, I had a th- at some point I was only doing like 20. 40 world oh, questions a day. I was only doing regular hours. Dr. Templer had to call me and because they could see our world progress, she's like, hey, what's going on? Why aren't you doing <laughs> Hey, bro, your test is in two weeks. You've done 15% of your world. <laughs> yeah, it was something like that. No, your test is like in four weeks. I was like, oh, okay. All right, I'll start doing more. So then I was like, all right, no matter what, I'll get through at least 40 and maybe I'll tr- shoot for 80. And then that was that was usually it. And that would be plus review. Then I think I bumped myself up to maybe five hours. Quality hours. Well, eh. that's, that's respectable. Quality no, hours. That, that five that's, hours of actual studying plus breaks is good. Yeah. Well, I also had a habit of like going on YouTube deep dives. Mm. First, I'm going to YouTube to find like an explanation of something, but then I'm like watching yeah. videos about, you know how the author came up with the idea for Harry Potter. I had some like focus extension <laughs> from my computer and it would like block all social media websites, including, I had to add YouTube because I had that dilemma too, where yeah, YouTube has some helpful stuff on it, but it also has every other YouTube video. Which you have to watch if it's there. So and I watched YouTube as well. So okay. that actually helped a lot. So like mm-hmm. I had Spotify and if I really needed to watch a video for clarification, I had boards and beyond <laughs> and okay. like that was it. That's smart. You guys I'm very are distracted. adults. You have to. <laughs> you guys are adults. I, I think that's important. Is everyone's different? But if you like, I'm very distractible. So I had to set the parameters for a good study session, and that right. was like blocking out, you know, video games and distractible websites, so that my only options to be distracted are like being very intensely focused on questions or whatever is in front of me. See, I never learned that till my mid-30s because I never grew up with structure or parameters, but nice. they really help you grow as a person, Yeah, yeah. which is so amazing. Okay, so you take step one. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I know you do amazing. I remember the day that your score came out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember how nervous you were. Oh, and that it was, was like genuine. The worst. I remember this. It was, yeah, it was like so the worst bad. panic attack I've ever had. Your body was shaking. We forced you to go out for a walk. Yeah. My, like like you hear about people with panic attacks and they have like Oh yeah, their hands I've had a numb. few. Yeah. My hands were actually numb. You could have yeah. like cut them off and I wouldn't have felt That's it. some anxiety. Yeah. No, he was, was pale. So scared. No, yeah. and he was sweating. Yeah. And so we forced him <laughs> like, we're gonna go outside for a walk. Meanwhile in the background what's happening is COVID is building up, right? And we had no idea what was about to hit us. Right. Um Actually, that day that we hung out the whole day, I had COVID, I think. So. I'm pretty sure <laughs> you put alive. on that, that mask 
to get fitted for the N95, yeah. and it just was like an inoculation chamber <laughs> <laughs> where everyone that followed you. Everybody after me, right? <laughs> and I don't know when that chamber was from, like maybe 1920s, but I actually got my real N95 fit done when I went to the hospital I'm going to do residency at <laughs> last week, and it's different. <laughs> like, they use I'm machines sure and stuff. Yeah. I don't think it, that was, I think that was like old school technology we were using. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, everybody who went in that chamber after me. <laughs> put a Publix bag on your head. They <laughs> shoot some Febreze in it and go, can you smell it? <laughs> no? You good? All right. And seriously, like four people got sick after that. <laughs> no, I even said, uh, who raised their hand and said, I said, are we worried about meningitis? At the time, I didn't think COVID was going to hit, even though yeah. it was festering in my body. Um, I was like, are, are any of us worried about meningitis? And then everybody's like, oh, Samantha, typical Samantha, shut up. Um... <laughs> But yeah. Yeah. You didn't go after me, did you? No, I think I went before. Okay. Yeah. I remember I was so like anxious to go because I actually had my step that that weekend. Mm. Um because I yeah. took I took an extra week as you know because I was probably only doing 3 hours a day. So needed that extra week. Right. Um so I remember the day you get your step score. You were so <laughs> nervous. Yeah, that was like one of the most anxiety provoking moments of my life. <laughs> but it was also one of the most heartwarming moments of mine. <laughs> that's a juxtaposition when yeah. i walked into the room and you were so happy because you had checked we had to leave the room for you to check your score because you were oh, yeah. too nervous to check it with us in there totally understandable but then when we walked back in you were so happy yeah yeah mason's hard work paid off everybody of course it did it always does um <laughs> you did great and what did we do we ate pizza yep we did and um you celebrated with a bag of cape cod potato chips <laughs> it was given to me i didn't i didn't go out of my way as one does just pick one up on the way home what flavor <laughs> original classic yeah the barbecue's not that great the no. reason why i always get him cape cod potato chips is because one day during lecture he said i'm gonna go home after this test and i'm gonna get myself one of those giant costco bags of cake cod <laughs> potato chips i'm gonna lay on the bed and i'm gonna eat them <laughs> and even one day you said you passed out from being exhausted and woke up with a bag of cape cod potato chips on your stomach it wasn't just like that. a drug and addict <laughs> it was a pizza it was an, enti- <laughs> <laughs> it was an entire pizza on my chest and i woke up at like 2 a.m with the lights still on <laughs> just the pizza completely in the same position with a bag of cape cod chips how much would you yeah. pay to have a picture of that that's <laughs> beautiful mason really partying it up work hard play it's hard six, that's when i knew i had a problem and the things didn't get changed <laughs> that's, that's all right i i have a quick question all right, so I feel like you and I are similar in that regard in that first and second year, way more anxious than we probably needed to be. Oh, yeah. Do you feel like if you went back, obviously this sounds horrible, but if you had to do it again, do you feel like you would have handled it differently? Like, do you feel like you would have been left less anxious or is it just like inherent in the whole process? I think the first time you go through it, well, the only time you go through it, it's, it's almost inevitable not to be. Especially for us, we didn't have any upperclassmen to tell us like it's all going to be okay like you don't need to worry about the first two years that much just pass your classes learn the material um i feel like if we had that maybe it would have been different like that would have definitely been called me if i had someone who matched in the plastics from our our school and they told me that and they just 
if we had that, I think it would have been a lot better. I think I also felt that, like the ambiguity of like all you know about step one is it's very important. And if you do really badly on it, you're you're very likely not going to do or be eligible essentially for XYZ right. specialties. And I assume at that point you were pretty yeah, set on that's, plastics. That's, or I was, you know, I came into medical school still wanting to do plastics for my job. So I knew uh, that was like the single most important score for my application. Yeah. And if you didn't have it, you know, you're, you're dead in the water. It doesn't matter how yeah. badly you want to be a plastic surgeon. So I was think I was, you know, pretty fixated on that the, the first two years. And um, once I was out of the way, your perspective changes so much when you start clinical years um, and you start realizing all the other stuff you have to do for residency and it kind of makes those first two years, yeah, they're important. They, they serve as your foundation for you know, your whole medical knowledge, but there is a lot more to the process um, and a lot, a lot that you don't realize when you're going through hematology or CPR. I, uh, when I went, <coughs> Through when I started med school, I didn't, I didn't have a plan. You know, I, I I guess it was a blank canvas for me. Everything was just, whoa, this is cool to be here. Whoa, this is cool to be here. And I wish I had a little bit better of a uh, plan or direction or knowing, because I just thought, oh wow, I'm in med school now. Mm -hmm. This is cool. We get to learn about these things. Um, but I think having like a general plan, I think most people that come to med school have one, so it's good for them. They know that these are the sort of landmark things they want to hit. Um, it's very important. I don't think you guys would have or should have changed anything about what you did. I think it paid off, you know. Yeah. I, I'm forgetting the quote, but it's something like, you know, not medical school, but like life teaches you to do the things that you need to know. Like our four years here have each shown our weaknesses and what we're bad at and what we need to improve on, what we're good at. And I think over the course of four years of hard studying and just seeing crazy things and experiencing crazy things, you realize like, oh, wow, like maybe I did get too worked up for step one or whatever. And like that showed a, a part of me I want to change or like maybe I didn't study hard enough or I didn't organize my time well. And you you realize that and you fix it and then you're a better person going forward into residency and like it's gonna be it's gonna be no different for the rest of our life but like you just keep learning things about yourself keep getting better and it'll be all good it's more of a personal growth thing 100 percent, yeah for sure Cause, i mean you it's such a blip in time in terms of like not knowledge yeah. gain the knowledge gain just comes every day hereafter and, and you said like maybe it would have been different if we had upperclassmen which is because they would have already gone through that. They would have already grown from that and been like, hey, I've already done this. Like, I know you're feeling this way. I already felt that, and I realized I didn't need to. And like, right. maybe they could help you not feel that <laughs> Yeah, no, proactively. that's exactly the point, yeah. Yeah. When you get to, and then we, okay, so you take your step, you get your score, the whole thing, the world shuts down, COVID happens, and then we're at home from March until October. Yeah. And then the greatest thing happens to you. What is that? You get this cat. Oh, yeah. Oh, when did you oh get, yeah. When did you get the cat? <laughs> Dr. Just... Chase sent me this text saying, hey, I'm out of town for, I think, a week or two. Yeah. Can you foster these cats? Yep. I was like, I can't because my cat's getting chemo, but I know Mitch can. Mm -hmm. And Mitch fosters these three beautiful little kittens. And then one of them connects with you. Yeah, you meet I your mean, soulmate. I think this was. <laughs> <laughs> I think this was like in May, if I'm not yep. mistaken, mm -hmm. when you guys had him, 
And like, I'd never really considered getting a cat or really any pet because I thought, you know, we're going to the hospital, we're going to have unpredictable hours at times, and I have, I'm going to have to go on away rotations. I don't know who's going to take care of it when I'm gone. Um, so I really wasn't planning on it. And then I remember we were, me and Mitch were playing video games once. He was like, oh, just come over, come play with them, just meet them and, and whatnot. And um, yeah, I met him. And then when a couple, days, no couple days later, yeah. I yeah signed the foster paperwork or adoption paperwork yeah. yeah i remember he came over when we were living at midtown and we were just playing with the cats and he really liked the dark gray one <laughs> and in typical yeah. mason fashion he was very worried about the whole process and oh yeah yeah well i'd, I'd never had a cat before i i, I had no Dude, idea what i remember you like playing with them and just like staring at it like loving it so much but you're oh. just like yeah but like what would I do when I'm at rotation? So I'm like, yeah, but it'll be it'll be fine as long as you like feed it and like play with it once a day. And he's like, all right, but like, what about if I'm on a waste? Oh, no, yeah. I'm like, well, you can bring him with you. It'll be all right. Or like, yeah, I had a million questions about it. No, it's and fair. And it all worked in hindsight. Yeah, he's coming with you. He changed your life. I I know you. I don't. All I know is this. I looked forward to the zooms because we all had to have our cameras on, right? <laughs> we all should have our cameras on, anyways. It's it's a nice thing to do. But Mason and House. I would always Stars take the show. little pictures and send them to you because oh, yeah. he would just be sitting in your arms mm-hmm. or he would just attack <laughs> your hand. Yeah, he still does that. Um, mm-hmm. I loved it. And he's a good boy. He is. You did a really nice job. He's a great cat. That is a friendly cat. Yeah. All three of those cats are awesome. One went to Dr. Plazic. Oh, one went to Dr. Chase. Dr. Shout out Dr. Plazic. Beans. <laughs> beans. <laughs> yeah, Beans. Yeah. Beans went to Dr. Plazic. Beans. Chase, Dr. Chase, her cat is named, I don't remember. It's got a nice girl name. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Chi-Chi? <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> Not that one. <laughs> okay. Also a great cat. And then House went to Mason. Which is, he's this beautiful, dark gray. It's like a Russian something. Yeah, Russian like, blue. almost like a blue. Russian yeah. blue. Um, just a great dude. Yeah. When I went to feed him when you were out of town, that was joyous for me. Yeah. Because he would come greet me at the door mm-hmm. and stick his long <laughs> nose out at me and he would put his paws on my chest, meow in my <laughs> face. What a great cat. And then we yeah. would play. Um then I would sit with him on the couch and he would sit on my lap. It's just a good cat. Yeah. Unlike Mitch's cats. Hey. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> hey. Those cats have backed me into a corner. Me too. Cats. Me cat. too. Cat, sure. Mocha's yeah, like a Mocha nice cat. She's just, she's just a... Mocha's like, wonderful. She's just a void that you don't even see. Yeah. But Mitch once needed to keep his cat at my apartment. It's like, fine. <laughs> it's like a day. So I put the cat in my office. I go into the office to grab my laptop, and it jumps out from under my desk and tries to attack me. In my own home. Yeah, your home, her this space. Isn't, this isn't even the first time. This is the no. This was just the first time of many occasions where this cat has chased me down, tried to attack me. When I went to go feed your cats over Christmas, mm-hmm. it just in juxtaposition to Mason's beautiful cat, I would have to take your trash can and hold it in front of me to serve as a barrier protection. It sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. I, I have two cats. Uh, shout out Nala, who we're talking about. Yeah. She is. She has Cliver Busey syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> she's the best cat in the world to Marissa and I, but she's not friendly to guests. Only select guests get the pass where she's friendly to them. It's really Ooh. weird. Who? Because uh, I don't trust that person. Nick Patet, the third year, he came over. Uh, totally cool. Mason's been all right with her. 
No. Sometimes. She I backed mean, him into a corner. She backed me into a corner. She let me out of it. It's a, all right, fair <laughs> enough. When we're around, they're select guests. But anyways. I'm trying to feed it. I'm trying to give you sustenance. Making me aware I'm not doing it fast enough. Or you, no, like. I'm trying to feed you. I'm trying to clean your litter box, and you want to eat. Like you want to, you want to attack me. Yeah. It's just shout out Nala. Shout out right, Nala. So but I got to tell you, you <laughs> and Marissa are saints for taking that cat and loving that cat, and that's Thank one you. of the we best will. parts of you. So okay. I have a question before we get through third year. When did mm. you start research? Because I know, as we're going to get to, research is a big part of your application and a big part of the work you did during your time in med school. Tell us about that. Yeah, so right before COVID hit, pretty much during that same two-week transition, our school had this um, meetup with HCA. Where I, I remember they, some of those doctors came into the chancellor's room, and we met them and stuff. Um, I met my PI there. Uh, who was at the time director of trauma surgery research for mm. Kindle, and so um, I met him there, and I think Haley also met him there, and that's when she started working with him too. And um, pretty much after that point, it was kind of like this perfect opportunity to do like almost like a mini research year because we were doing nothing that summer, and like we didn't have any courses, or we had like. We could do like online. We had radiology. Yeah, we had that um, or neuroscience or mm-hmm, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, you were in my neuroscience class. Yeah, that's right. That's I right, remember that's right. that. I love that. Um, so, yeah, during that time period, there was a, really nothing else to do. And at that point, I didn't have a whole lot of you know research done. I had like two publications from undergrad. Um, and, you know, plastics is a very research-heavy field. And so I know I needed more. And so um, – I started working with him and with nothing else to do during the era of COVID, um, we were able just to be extremely busy. Um, you were working like, I remember you going, I got, I got to get home. We have a research deadline, <laughs> like a lot. Yeah, no, it was, it was a lot because like our research team was comprised of people from our school, people, a couple people from the osteopathic school and then some people from um, FIU and we were all working out of Kindle. So we were able to build this research team that was be very efficient like everyone was got very niche in what they were doing like I was always doing statistics and writing up the methods and the results and for a lot of my papers that's what my contribution was but we basically figured out this system of just how to crank out different studies and so you know in those couple of months out (laughs) and crank out he did (laughs) (laughs) and so during those couple of months um, I think we were be able to we were as productive as people who were doing a full research year. And I just kept working with him and the team um, throughout my third year, through all the rotations. And by the end of it, there was um, absolutely no need to do a research year for plastics, which is a very common thing people do, especially if they don't have a home institution. How many publications were you able to crank out? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think if you were to look at PubMed right now, um, there would be 44 we have one still out in limbo somewhere. Um, but we also participate in a bunch of conferences. Um, okay. I did oral presentations and poster presentations. Wow. And because of COVID, everything was online. So mm. you could just go you to a go bunch to all of all these. You don't have to fly to every single one. Correct. So it was kind of just like this perfect time to do research. And um, Did you like reach a limit on ERAS where it like wouldn't let you add more because nobody's ever added that many? <laughs> <laughs> No, I was able to add everything. Uh, I, there was, it came up in every single interview, though, because for the purposes of, like, ACGME and ERAS, they group 
the publications, the abstracts, and like your uh, oral posters and stuff yeah. together. Yeah, those are all. Those, how many? What was your number? <laughs> Probably like a hundred. Yeah, it, it was to close it. to a hundred. Yeah, it was like ninety something. Once I factored in. That's factoring in every presentation we did at every conference. Correct. It's not like I, did, I went to 50 conferences. Yeah. No, it's like every but I would, poster, I would at, every... Yeah, multiple posters yeah. at each conference. So that number ended up being somewhere between 90 and 100. Um, wow. That I know of. There, okay. there could be students who went on and, you know, I, I've stopped working with the research team. I'm pretty much just done. Um, and so there could have been students who took our work and went to conferences afterwards. But once I applied a residency, I stopped really following it okay. i have a few questions yeah as obviously we're both doing internal medicine so this is like foreign to us um for the few people that listen to this and they might be interested in plastics or another competitive surgical subspecialty one do you recommend doing what you did if possible two do you wish you had done less i guess just those two questions um because it was I, obviously worth it. I didn't want to ask that question because you've yeah. done very well and you matched successfully where you wanted to go. So I don't know if I would recommend for people to do it because it was very hard doing that and studying for, you know, all of the um, exams for third year for our clinicals. Because um, this went, just for clarification, this went from uh, beginning. So, like, this is, like, beginning of March probably mm-hmm. where it's, like, essentially between second and third year, but for us it's the beginning of third year. And then this continued through all of third year, right? Yeah, through all of third year. And it really didn't stop or slow down at least until I started going on my um, away rotations fourth year. So it was like over a full year. And I think ideally when, when you're thinking plastic ortho, ophthalmology. Neurosurgery. Neurosurgery. Cardiothoracic surgery. You take that year off after third year to do the research year, and that is to do research that is in that field. Right. And Mason was lucky. You you just just happenstance, serendipity, whatever you call it, the timing, and you know this guy. It is trauma surgery, but not entirely plastics, but a lot of different things. Yeah, right. It was, it was a variety of things. Okay. Because I like I said, I couldn't access any plastic surgery research. Um, Correct. So I just kind of this was the best opportunity I had. And if it wasn't plastic surgery, at least it was surgery in general. Mm -hmm. And so you have to remember a lot of the skills for research are transferable. Exactly. You know, so and how to interpret um, manuscripts, how to run statistics and stuff. If you can do that in trauma surgery, you can do that in plastic surgery. So it was more important to me that I developed those skills. Um, So no, it was barely anything was in plastics. Mm -hmm. I I did a couple of papers on burns which is like the most applicable thing um but it was a variety of stuff we did clinical outcomes um mitch and i did a paper comparing ct and mri for c-spine clearance so that was directly clinical stuff we did surgical education i did letters of the editor um commentaries retrospective stuff we didn't really get to do any like prospective stuff because you're not gonna be able to do that really except at like more academic bigger tertiary centers right um, retrospective stuff is easy because if you can pay for a membership to a database, you know, we use the American College of Surgeons database a lot. You can do a ton of studies based off that. And oh, wow. you met the PI. Um, was it kind of just happenstance at that meeting? Yeah, he was just kind of standing in the back of the room, and he, I didn't know who know, know who anyone was, and so I was just kind of walking around meeting yeah. um, some of these doctors I was going to be working with in clinicals. and. It's yeah. just another example of how important it is to uh, cherish every interaction and don't take them for granted because right. you could just meet somebody randomly. Um, even like first year, I remember 
I forgot her name. She was a radiologist. She was great. She did some of our lectures in like the HSF lab area, like the mini lectures. And Dr. Sadal. Uh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. I, I don't remember exactly who it was, but yeah. I remember I just chatted with her after and like she was very nice and she emailed me randomly like a couple months later asking if I wanted to be on a project mm. and I'm saying no because I was like doing something else, but that's just like a random meeting and those happen all the time in medical school if you look right. for them and if you uh, take advantage of them. Yeah, it was Dr. Siddall. She's, yeah. she's, she was Siddall. great. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you get past that. You start clerkships. How'd that go for you? Clerkships went well. Um, you started out on surgery. I started out on surgery. And so at the beginning, was like kind of chaotic because it was the first time these hospitals were open again since Kindle or since COVID happened. Open to taking students. Open to taking yeah. students, right. They shut down for the COVID summer. And so this was the first time that, you know, people from our school, the DOs and um, FIU students were starting all at the same time on this surgery. This is like fall of 2020. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah. So there was way too many people in the surgery service. Mm-hmm. And so I started out that rotation. Um, the residents just asked like, oh, what are you interested in? I said plastics. So my, my first week there, I spent on plastics at Kindle. How was that? Um, it was an interesting experience. It was different than the um, plastics that I was normally seeing at my old job mm-hmm. because here they were doing a lot more burns and a lot more hands on my old site uh, or my old job. They were doing a lot of like complex microvascular reconstructions and, and stuff like that. So it was a very different um, kind of subset of plastic surgery. But I started out there, um, I don't remember all the rotation order. It went from like surgery to I think maybe psych, okay. I'm not sure. But they, I mean, they all went well. And I think the hardest thing was, you know, doing all the research and trying to learn all the information you need that's ultimately gonna be used for um, step two. Wow. Um, what was your worst rotation? <laughs> or I should uh, say, your least <laughs> favorable. I would say pediatrics. Oh, yeah. That's, a <laughs> that's, that's largely <laughs> because of where it was. Oh, okay. That's fair. I know where you were then, yeah. where I was. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you go through the year, and you've, or, you've always known you were going to do Nothing swayed you. There was no question, oh, I really liked internal medicine, or oh, I really... Oh, no. No. You were going to do plastics. Yeah, I hated internal medicine. <laughs> Same. <laughs> just, <laughs> just kidding. No, I can see you not, not that not being for you. It's like being in the lab again. Okay, I've done yeah. this. Now what do I do? Right. Um, now we yeah. wait for the repeat lactate. Yeah. <laughs> you you want to get your hands in there and you want to solve yeah. the problem. Right. Um, so you, you're like, okay, I'm for sure doing plastics. So you know you have X amount of research, so you're good on that end. You right. know you have the scores you want for step one, you're good on that. Mm-hmm. What's the next thing you know that you have to do to be able to be a competitive candidate in plastics uh, with a 52% match rate? Right. Um, so after those things, after research <clears throat> and your scores, I think there's two really big things that you have to hit to be successful. One of them is letters of rec. Mm-hmm. Um, plastics is, especially in academic plastics, it's a very small circle. Everyone knows everybody. Because when you accept less than 200 people a year, you know, you, you start ne- networking with other programs and whatnot. Everyone knows the director of some other program kind of thing. How so, do you get over that barrier? So it was tough. Um, I did a plastics, in the beginning of my um, fourth year, I did a plastics rotation down here with Dr. Kamel who, um, if I'm, 
not mistaken, I think it's called Atlantic Aesthetic Center for Reconstructive Surgery. I forget the full name. So that was but one of our was, yeah like right. So you you're getting to a point where okay, we're we're still COVID. VSAS says you can only do one away rotation unless mm-hmm. it's something that your program doesn't have right right so you got to start planning your fourth year right around april of your third year it's actually not before we started then. in january oh my goodness really in my third year yeah i started having meetings with dr ely and dr Samino and um it's not a bad idea to be honest dr Messa. of course because yeah. because when you're planning for something like plastics or another competitive thing when you're doing these away rotations you're not planning your away rotations you're planning your residency because in addition to a letters of rec, which you have to start getting if you haven't gotten them already, the other single greatest thing that helped me match was away rotations. Do you Did you at any point feel, you know, not encouraged? Or, you know, like, did you meet any, like, were there any stops in the road where people were like, well, Mason, it's going to be tough for you. Of course. Give up. Oh, yeah. Well, no, no, no. No one told me to give up. <laughs> but... but <laughs> Shut it down. <laughs> Stop it right now. <laughs> no, no one said give up. Everyone said be realistic. Yeah, and, and you took so, that advice. Yeah, in yeah. which, like, sure. Like, I'm going to shoot for what I want, and I know how competitive it is. And, you know, it was the decision was made early on to apply to general surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, which you were happy with because you liked your surgery rotation. Yeah. and Yeah, it would have been fine. good skill set to have. It is. It's, it's good to know how to operate, you know, in the abdomen and in the chest and whatnot. It's useful to have it just meant adding on more years of training yes um because plastics programs are six years general surgery plus a fellowship is eight okay Um, and then you still have to do a fellowship on top of it to do microvascular stuff usually wow but you were willing to do that yeah i mean you've come this far might as well yeah i mean honestly what's a few more years exactly exactly so i started playing in in january by having these meetings with dr Samino and um dr ely and um, basically just got a list of solid programs that are obtainable coming from a new school. Okay. And so I didn't apply to somewhere where like NYU or Harvard or something because the chances that they take someone from a brand new medical school, especially with no clinical connections. This there, is for is, an away, right? For an away. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And therefore for residency. So right. they don't take you for an away. They're probably not going to take you for a residency if they deny your application. Okay. So this whole time is really planning out what programs I'm going to apply to, like, later that year, like, eight months down the line. Wow. And so I would recommend for people who are serious about it to do that because it allowed me to apply to the best programs on VSAS and um, ultimately go do an away at where I matched. So how many programs did you apply to for your aways? Oh, I want to say a lot. Um, I want to say at least, like, 50 and how many did you get? Um, well, three. Okay. Because then once I got three, I withdrew the other ones. Okay. And they were all still pending? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they hadn't been approved or denied or anything. They basically hadn't looked at them yet. And I took away the other ones because it's better to cancel those applications yeah. before they take a look at it and they offer you something. And you because, deny them. Yeah, because okay. if they offer it and you deny them. And they remember. They. Yeah. Yeah, not to name programs, but programs. some programs do blacklist you if you do that. Okay. So knowing that, I was like, look, there's three. They're obtainable. Um, I like, you know, the institutions, so I will go to these three. And once I had those, I withdrew the rest. Wow. So you go, you, you do your aways. What do you start with, your first away? When is it? Um, 
I started, that was at University of Massachusetts. And oh, wow. that was in July, I believe. So that was your very first away my rotation first one. in plastics. Yeah. But prior to that, you had done our local yeah. plastics rotation that we had to sort of prepare you for that. Right. It was a two-week rotation? That was a four-week. Oh, it was a four-week that yeah. we had here. So I worked with Dr. Kamel, and then he gave me um, a letter of recommendation for residency. Okay. A lot of rising third years have questions about when they should do away rotations, so this is good. Yeah. I, I think the best timing is... It's kind of like this niche period. You don't want to do it too early because then they're going to forget who you are more as time goes on and they're making their their rank list. But you want, also don't want to do it too late because there's a prime interview time. So I would say like... July through October? I'd say like August, September, October. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because my interviews were starting to wind down. I did my last rotation in November. It ended like a few days before Thanksgiving. And interviews were, like, stopped at that point for, like, two weeks by the time I ended. Like, nothing was being sent out. I wasn't getting any more. So I really think, you know, August, September, October is probably the best time. So Because that's also the time where if you do get an interview, usually they'll do it when you're there. Oh, like, when I was at okay. Wake Forest, I, they spread out. I interviewed with every single faculty member and worked with all the residents and stuff over the course of four weeks. Yeah, you were essentially on a month-long interview. Yeah, yeah, we always say that, but that's like legit a month-long interview. You actually have to consider it like that. You have to come in every case, you know, well-versed, prepped. You have to know the anatomy. You have to know specific things for your field. Like, I know a couple of times we would just be doing a procedure and resident would look at me and say, you know, what math is in the high classification is this flap. And I'm sorry, I, what? It's, it's a classification system for flaps. <laughs> But it is, but there's you like, don't know that? <laughs> no, <laughs> what was the name of the system? Kidding. Like math is nigh. Cool. Math is nigh. Yeah. And so you'd be like, well, what is it? And then I'd be like, oh, this is a latissimus, so this is a type 5, and it would have to be one major segmental order. You'd have to explain this whole classification system to And me. this is something you need to spend a significant amount, because for, for me on rotations, you can largely go. You don't have to study to prepare. Like, okay, what are we treating for this heart failure? What do we think about this rash? You, this is something that we don't spend a lot of time on in med school. You spend almost no time on plastic surgery in medical school. So, right. so you're taking you're you are a lot of self initiative to go through and study these things and know these things. Yeah. Um, what's what's really helpful is that most of these places they'll send out the chiefs will send out uh, OR schedules for the week, so you know okay. what you're doing five days in advance. Oh, okay. So you're able to go home and read up on in the textbooks and get you know, savvy with everything. It's not like five minutes before. Go scrub into that case. No, because, it, no. you know, for the most part in plastics, like unless we're on hand call, which we alternate with ortho or face call, which we alternate with ENT, um, everything's like on an elective basis. And you, okay. you know a couple of days out what you're doing. Okay. So you do your first one in July. What do you do for August? Um, so the way the timing worked out, I had about two weeks off in between each rotation. When did you take step two? Before my ways. So in June. Mm, yeah, either, yeah. May or June. Yeah, you were like a month before June. me, I think. Yeah. I'm assuming you did good. Yeah, I did good. I think I think comparatively <laughs> I did better on my step one, but I mean, like in terms of like percentile rank and stuff, but I mean, did good it obviously enough. wasn't, okay. yeah, yeah I mean, it wasn't a problem in the match, obviously. It worked out. Did goodly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so you take step two, then you, you go to your away rotation, you have two weeks off, then you what, what's your next one? And then I went to Wake Forest. Okay. Yep, and the same thing. That was four weeks. Then I did two weeks off there, and then I had Rush as my last one. Okay, and then after that, you took time off for interviews. Yeah, 
Okay. After Rush, um, I just took the rest of November, December, and pretty much January off. Okay. <laughs> and I just did interviews. Okay. Um, and at the same time, so now, now, okay, you've taken your step two, you've done your first away rotation, um, and you're probably, what, you're at Wake Forest, what time? August? September? Yeah. Was it before you submitted ERAS or after you submitted ERAS? I think I submitted while I was there. While you were there. Yeah. How do you get other letters of recommendation? You have the one from the past Dr. Kamal that who you worked with down here. Yeah. Did you get one from uh, from UMass? Did you get one from just local surgeons that you've worked with here? Yeah. So one from Dr. Kamal, um, one from the program director at UMass. Okay. And um, one from Dr. McKinney. Okay. Because he was on all my research stuff. And, and yeah, and he was the general. Yeah. He was our surgery chair. Right. He's our surgery chair. Yeah. So, okay. And then those are the those are the three that you use. Yep. Okay. Those are the three. And you don't get any other specialty letters? Not because... for plastics. But no. I got a couple of different letters for general Gen surgery. Because you're, you're thinking, all right, I'm, we call it a parallel plan. Right. Dual apply. So That's the perfect transition into what I wanted to ask. <laughs> How many? So you did. They did do apply uh, plastics and gen surge. How many applications are we talking about here? Between the two of them. Um, yeah. How many total? And like, what was the split like? So Just you pretty estimate. much you you apply to all the plastic surgery programs. How many okay. of those are there? There's currently ninety something. Oh okay. wow. Okay. <laughs> and then how many gen surge do you apply? Um. I think I ended up applying to 50 or 60. Wow. So in total, I was probably looking at like 150 100. applications. And when you're going through your ERAS, you are, you know, for each program, you're assigning letters, and it's different letters for different yeah. ones because these are my plastic. And you have, you have two separate personal statements as well, right? Yeah. So everything is, and this is good for people to know, this is, you have to have the two personal statements, the different sets of letters. So yeah. Then and the, the statements were so different that, like, one, I had every every plastic surgery program is academic. So I always wrote, you know, in those I just kind of described how I want to be an academic plastic surgeon. Mm -hmm. And then I had another version for general surgery for academic programs. And then I had one for general surgery for community programs. Oh, wow. Because okay. I didn't, I didn't want to be applying to a community program and be like, yeah, I want to be this academic powerhouse and do all this research and stuff if it's not really what they do or what, okay. they, what they're interested in taking, you know. Wow. It's very nuanced. So you end up, you've submitted your ERAS, you're at Wake Forest, you're doing your um, away rotation, you're loving it, right? Because oh, yeah. that was like the best time of your life yeah, in terms of med school. I remember you telling me about it. for sure. Really? Okay. Yeah. And you loved it so much and you got a pair of cowboy boots and everything. <laughs> um, so then you, we start, interviews start trickling in. Does integrated plastic surgery have like an interview day where everybody gets their invites or is it a trickling in thing uh this year it was everyone at the same time okay it was all like released between 9 a.m and 12 p.m on this certain day oh i wish i could have seen you that day i was that's when i was at rush when that came out so that was pretty late in the cycle okay um so for most of the of the cycle i was just doing um general surgery interviews and scheduling those so how many plastic surgery interview invites did you get based off of the 90 programs you applied to? <laughs> I got three. Three? Yeah. Wow. And I knew, and this is, this is where away rotations are critical. Yeah. It's because- Were they at all the three places you away rotated? <laughs> no. <laughs> Whoa, hold on. Yeah. 
Rude. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know, but I d- this is what that's why it's so critical. I didn't get one for UMass. I got one. I interviewed the other two places, and then I interviewed at University of Texas. Okay. Um, but you know, this is why going on our ways of coming from a new school is so critical yeah. because, especially when you get into these very competitive niche fields like academic plastic surgery, school name and whatnot really matters. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of get around this by choosing the right programs, like. When, you know, I matched at Wake Forest and they definitely have people from big names from, you know, top whatever schools, Cornell and and all that. But then they also have me. And so. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, bro. And so so what's critical is like for for these away rotations is to go somewhere where, you know, it really depends on your performance there. And they take that month long interview seriously. So you can even though I didn't really have a school name behind me, I was able to make up for it with you know, my performance there over that month and then all the individual, you know, other accomplishments I've done to be competitive, like all my research. Which I have no doubts at all that you went in there and you were Mason the machine. I did a lot yeah. better there than the other rotations. D- I, d- I, I don't, I, 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 I think, think the environment just fit me them. better. And it was a good fit. It was a good match. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you got the three, the three plastic surgery. <laughs> yeah. And then you got how many gen surge interviews? I think like, I don't know, like 15 or something. Okay. So you felt comfortable. I interviewed like, at 15. I, I'm not really sure how many oh. I chose. I think there was like 18 interviews I did altogether. Wow. And so you were like, okay, I have a good shot at matching at least, you know. It's pretty, pretty yeah, good. I was, yeah. I was sure I was going to go somewhere. Um, you just weren't sure it was going to be plastic. Right. Um, Which is crazy because, I mean, we didn't dual apply, but I can only imagine for those of y'all that did where – I mean, even Kyle, too. He also mm-hmm. dual applied anesthesia. Yeah. And it's like, man. But he did it in a way as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He the, did, that's what I'm saying. This, this is going. the biggest thing to make He did you. everything you did. Yeah. 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 yeah the way rotations, my friends. They're expensive, but they're absolutely necessary if you're going for, you know, top five competitive field. So this was something that we asked Kyle, too. And, and we kind of touched on it earlier. But. You know, had you open it up and you had like your number one or the highest up, at least general surgery program, how do you feel like you would have felt? Do you feel like it would have altered your career path at all? Do you feel like it maybe would have opened some other doors and you maybe maybe you don't end up in plastics one day? Or do you think you still would have shot for that? I think in all honesty, if I had to go to general surgery first, the chances are that I probably wouldn't have become a plastic surgeon because there's this whole movement, like traditionally doing gen search first and then doing a three-year plastics fellowship is what you did to be a plastic surgeon. And that's what, you know, the older surgeons, that they have, that's all their understanding of it still. But, you know, around 30, 35 years ago, all these programs started um, becoming integrated where basically instead of doing that five and three, you just do six years where you do the first two years of your, you know, surgical requirements like general surgery and ICU. And the last four years is plastic surgery. And so the whole movement has been that those fellowship programs are closing down in favor of starting integrated programs oh, okay. to the point where every year there's less. And so at this point, there's 20-something fellowships and 90-something integrated programs. So I knew if I had to wait five more years before applying, that number of fellowship programs would be even smaller. Mm-hmm. And they're going to only be taking really big-name people because they have that flexibility. Right. You know, when there's only 10 programs left, that's... 20 spots in the country they can take whoever they want right you know i so, really wonder if this is going to happen with internal medicine as well 
What, what do you mean? Like a cardiology fellowship, for example. If it's going to switch to a whole specialty. Yeah. Oh, I I've seen. So. I've seen. I've seen at least. Impossible. Like, I don't think it's impossible. I think it's impossible because I'll tell you why. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to tell you why. The surgeries are different, right? Because they're <clears throat> mainly technical. No. The, um, it's internal medicine. You have to know how the rest of the body works in order to mm-hmm. work on the heart. It all works together. And yeah, you could go through like one year. I, I see what you're saying. Like you could just start a six-year cardiology fellowship where your first three years are, I, are cardiology residency, where your mm-hmm. first three years are your IM, and then your next three years are your, your fellowship. But why? I think it depends on how you look at it because the why would be that, and I think it's probably similar for integrated plastics or integrated cardiothoracic surgery and when I know they're surgical versus medicine but you cut out whatever fluff you can and you replace it with that Mm-mm. that's terrible for medicine I'm not advocating for yeah, it no, but that, I think that will it's, never happen there are not rumblings or whisperings of that ever happening there's no way okay <laughs> no <laughs> there's no way because it's internal medicine like you have to know I know what you're saying and I agree with you there's no fluff in internal medicine for plastics, I can understand where there's fluff and gen surge for you guys. When are you going to remove a gallbladder? Right. Yeah, you're not. But in internal medicine... Got a big medicine, problem if I'm removing gallbladder. There's a huge day. problem. <laughs> or when are you going to do it like a colectomy unless yeah. you're going to fuse it to their face or something? I don't know. <laughs> or grow an ear inside of it. But so tell me. Never. How, okay. We'll fight about it. <laughs> you're the only one <laughs> about to fight about it. There's no fluff in medicine. It's perfect and beautiful. I love I am. Oh, it's all, everything's great. Tell me how plastic programs work. You said that it was six years. So what are you doing for those six years? What's the graduated responsibility like? What's, what are you doing on a day-to-day over the six years? So it kind of depends on the actual program itself because where I'm going for residency at Wake Forest, it's six years. And the first two years are your prereqs, like we go to gen surge and ICU and ENT and stuff like that. And then the last four years is just plastic surgery. So as you progress through it, you're getting to do more and more complex stuff and more and more cosmetic stuff. Um, so that you know, as second years or or third years, like you can you can be pumping out skin grafts all day and stuff. I did skin grafts as a sub I as a as a fourth year student. Wow! And they let me do amputations as a fourth year. I remember student. you telling me that you yeah. got to do you got to do like a whole foot amputation. Yeah, I did a guillotine amputation by myself. A but, guillotine? Like, do you guys move in an actual guillotine? Like, from old-timey <laughs> no. times? Or no, no, just a bobie. You just, just go across. Oh, yeah. we know. Yeah. Is it at least a bigger bovie? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. The bovie goes through bone? No, you do it at the ankle. So you go, like, in the tibio-tailor joint. So you go right in, in that space. You don't go through bone. You just cut it at the joint. So you're not, like, you burr the bone a little bit to make it smooth. But Sam's mouth is agape. <laughs> Well, because I'm smelling it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that bovey smell well, is the worst. It only took you like three minutes. So it's like it's really quick. You can take a foot off in oh, three yeah. minutes? I saw <laughs> one in my time at the bedside in the ICU, and it was very quick. Was, yeah. You saw a bedside foot <laughs> amputation? I saw a bedside BKA. Stop it. Promise no. you. I'll tell you about it later. It's yeah. crazy. Um, but yeah, so as a student, they were letting me do that. So if you can imagine, you know, fourth year, fifth year, what they're doing is going to be a lot of you know, microvascular stuff under microscopes and a lot of cosmetic cases. Especially like your senior year, generally places have uh, a chief clinic where people can come and get discounted cosmetic procedures from the chief residents. Wow. And so I, I scrubbed a couple of those. They would do like breast reductions and, and things like that. Um, 
But it's very program specific because at Rush, it's a seven year program because at after three years they make you do a research year. Mm. Okay. Because it's very academically focused. Yeah. Um, and so, that, you know, that obviously adds a year of training. This is absolutely fascinating. I think this is the most interesting specialty to come on the show yet <laughs> because I have so many questions and it's just your journey is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I mean, the biggest thing I said out to me about this conversation too is just how impactful those like formative years before medical school are. Like you meet, uh, you, not even you met somebody, you got randomly assigned to start up the plastics division of the scribing company you're with and then you had no plastics experience and then you know flash forward years later that's your career for the rest of your life because of a semi-random occurrence had yeah. that never happened would you even be going in like what if you stayed in hemonk or something or i yeah. mean would you yeah. even have gone to medical school you could have just got sick of scribing and then found a different opportunity and that's that no not mason, mason no i think achieved i would have stuck with medical yeah. school yeah. 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 i had so much invested i didn't want to uh, like, he could have yeah, ended up in yeah, internal medicine. You don't even, that, and <laughs> I think he would have been fine with that. that. Was your backup plan? I remember you telling me. <laughs> backup, backup. You were like, if I opened up my step score and it wasn't what I wanted, I had a whole plan. I was just gonna go internal medicine, probably yeah. be a really good cardiologist. Yeah, you had a whole like you have plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah, I know much. that. This is Mason. Art, <laughs> um, and then okay, now we start, we're getting back to the to the to the match day. You open up that envelope. You know you had only interviewed at three plastic places, but you know you matched. Right. What were you expecting to see? I honestly don't know. Like I, I could have seen it going either way because I thought the, you know my rotations away except for maybe UMass. The other ones went super well. And okay, what, what happened at UMass? <laughs> Shout out UMass. This wasn't a fit for you, right? You're, you're there wasn't. Just... A, it wasn't really a fit, and there's a learning curve. Like oh. even though I did that plastics rotation down here. It was not like doing it at an academic That's center. That's fair. Oh, it was your first because it was your first. And yeah. Okay. And so like. Okay. I was still getting my footing in, in the OR. I really wasn't comfortable suturing yet. I was, was taking like a while, and you're supposed to show up to these things ready to go. Okay. As like an intern. That's why. So it's this is almost like a practice for you. A practice. That's, what it, so that's what it turned into. Yeah. Unfortunately. Okay. So then like. I understood. No <laughs> <laughs> hard feelings. I'm like, all right. You're like, I get right. it. I get like, it. Okay. Yeah, you know, what are you going to do? Win some, lose some, right? Yes, but then I knew what to do for Wake Forest and Rush. And, okay. And I think that's why those went so much better. The, so, like, I knew how those rotations went, and I knew how well, especially my in-person interviews at Wake, went super well. I left, like, every single one happy with how it went. So, I had this, like, gut feeling for months that that's where it was going to be. I know that feeling. But, um... You know, I was prepared to open it up and see general surgery. And when you do apply, you have to just come to terms with that. I, like, yelled when you said plastics at Wake. I, I was stood like, up, and I don't stand up. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of energy expenditure for me. But I stood up, and I was just unbelievably, whatever my envelope said, I didn't care. Because yours said plastics at Wake yeah. Forest. And that was the coolest thing. Yeah. It was um, so exciting seeing everybody. Yeah. Just, yeah. We're happy for you. Thank you. I I'm not your parent, but I'm super proud of you. Like, oh, yeah. I'm, I can't wait to see where it goes for you. I know it's going to go very successful. Yeah. Thank um, you. Maybe the last question or one of the last questions is where do you see yourself in like 10 years from now after training and 
all of that. I mean, we always disclaimer, but we obviously don't know. Things could change. But like, if you could pick right now, where would you see yourself? With a bag of Cape Cod potato chips. <laughs> With a know. pizza on your chest. <laughs> Back to my roots. Um, it's a good question. I don't know if I have a specific area or location in mind. Um, I can see myself staying here in the South or... I don't know if going to the Northeast is necessarily what I want to do, but... Um, Back to UMass, full circle. <laughs> oh, poor, poor UMass. Maybe. Thank you for training, Mason. No, they, it Thank was, you it was for getting him up It made me realize what speed. I didn't know, and it caught me up. And That's what it was for. It was necessary. Thank you, UMass. <laughs> or as the locals call it, Zoomass. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> um, so I don't know. In terms of specific location, I don't think there's somewhere um, I can see myself at for sure, but you know, I want to be an academic plas- plastic surgeon, so I want to be at a university hospital, um, just because the things that are important to me are, you know, teaching uh, medical students and residents, and you know, definitely continuing to do research, maybe at my own pace. You know, on material is a little bit more um, relevant to, to <laughs> what I want to do. Engaging, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I believe in that. You know, plastic surgery is like a field that's very much built on innovation and. Uh, moving the field forward and so that's why all these programs have such a high emphasis on research is because it's it's expected it's expected if you you know come to an academic program that's what you're going to do and so um yeah continuing to teach continuing to do research and hopefully being able to do something great and in some kind of new technique or new method or something that contributes something like, to the field right yeah and, and like kind of call it the mason legacy. method Maybe the Mason maneuver, <laughs> or oh, there you go, the Sutherland stitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. The house handle. <laughs> Do me a favor, watch the movie Doc Hollywood. It's one of my favorite movies. It is one of the inspirations of going into medicine, but it involves a young plastic surgeon uh, okay. driving on his way out to LA to start his new job, and he crashes his car in South Carolina, and he um, his punishment is having to be the town doctor, hmm. and as you can imagine, you know. It's quite charming. Yeah. <laughs> but watch the movie. Anybody okay. here listening, watch it. It stars Michael J. Fox. Fantastic film. <laughs> Please watch. I will. Any other pieces of advice you have for some aspiring plastic surgeons? Maybe they're like a first year, second year. Start early. Obviously. Um, no one, <laughs> you know, you know, my PI has left this uh, from Kindle. So it was kind of just, it came and went. And that saved me a year of training, having to do a research year. I think if you want to have something like that where you can maybe skip out on that research year and still get everything you need, you need to start early. Um, I've already had conversations with some first years and second years who are interested in the field about what they should be thinking about and what the next few years kind of look like. Um, But yeah, start making connections and also go on the NRMP and look at how things are trending for plastic surgery. Because you might really like the field, you might really like what we've talked about today, but you know, there's average scores, there's average number of publications and whatnot. It's worth going the, on the NRMP, and you know, if you're early in your career, check every year, every time the data comes out, and see what is the average number of this looking like now, and um, try to make the decision early on if you really want to go for it. Because the requirements to get into family medicine are extremely different from plastic surgery. You can't make this decision third year and right. expect it yeah. to work out without taking a gap year or two two research years. You can always like pivot that. to something that with less specific requirements. Right, right. And then if you do that, like say like you think you want to be a plastic surgeon for 
two or three years and you have all your research there and you decide, oh, you know what? I actually want to be a general surgeon. It's no problem to like switch over. Because like vice said, versa is a problem. It's more difficult. Right. It's more difficult because you're generally not going to have the same number of publications or things that you need. Um, so be like me, like start early, plan early, uh, really try to decide if it's what you want to do. And if it is, and you'd like to talk about it more, I'm more than happy to whoever wants to have a conversation. Um, talk I about my experience more. That's important. And one thing you can learn from Mason is Mason picks the brains of those around him. Mason asks for help. Mason doesn't just assume that he knows everything. So when you reached out early to professors, to anyone, I think that's key. And you really got the guidance that you needed. And um, and he's going to give back and do the same for those yeah. who are coming up. So anybody can reach out to you. Yeah. Totally. Um, you know, you're forever going to be an NSUMD alum. Right. You can't change that. No. So. Ends up, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so you are an inspiration I and a cool it. guy. So thank, thank you for being here. And with that. That's been a great episode. Yeah. Our longest one yet. Nope. Because it's the most interesting. I think Dr. D's was our longest one yet. No, it wasn't. It wasn't this long. Yeah, it was. It was 47. We're almost there. You want to keep talking? I mean, (laughs) I could sing a song (laughs) and it says something to the tune of This is the play out music. Mason is here. He's gonna fix your face one day. <laughs> Thanks for being here, buddy. If it needs to be Thanks, fixed, guys. this is our play out music. He'll never sing. He's always gonna swim. He's Mason. Mason. Will you reconstruct my nose one day? I think I need it. It's hard to breathe. It's hard to breathe. <laughs> I can't swim, I'll probably sing.